Well, good morning, Trinity Bible Church, and, and welcome. A, uh, a few uh, quick announcements at the beginning today, uh, just to let you know, uh, this, uh, this Tuesday uh, from 6 to 8, uh, there is a kickoff for all of the women's uh, studies that are starting. It's going to be at Kirsten Vance's house, and all ladies are welcome, uh, regardless if you're able to make it or not. Uh, to the studies themselves. Kirsten's in the back if you have any questions. Uh, also as well, Thursday morning is, is a start of one of those studies. Also the person that you would need to talk to about that, this is for the ladies' studies, is also Kirsten Vance, who is still in the back. Uh, some of the other things going on in terms of that particular gathering on Tuesday night is to kind of discuss the, the different things that are going on for the ladies' studies, both one in the, during the day, one in, at night during the week. Also ongoing as well as the men's Bible study, if you need on Thursday nights, uh, every other Thursday night, you talk to Stuart uh, Holland over here. Uh, there is a men's um, reverential, sanctified new um, book study on Calvin's Institutes happening um, as we speak. And uh, the guys that talk to you about that are, are Randy Lupton and Fred Warren. And then there's an ongoing men's book study, The Masculine Mandate, uh, which we will be continuing in a couple of weeks. We're about halfway through, and the person to talk to about that is this guy. So if any of you, that is for any of the men who um, were interested but haven't, are worried about jumping in in the middle, don't worry. You'll have plenty of time to read parts of the book that you've missed. Now, nothing else new to talk about. And that's all I'll say. Okay. (laughs) Don't mind the smile. I know it's going to be strange today for you to see all this smiling. And smiling for you, you no longer have to see so much of me. Okay, so you're here. Thank you. Well, we are uh, continuing the gospel according to Matthew. We are in chapter 14 and will be for, for a bit. Uh, Today we cover the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 along with the resurrection uh, are the only two miracles of Jesus that are covered in all four Gospels. And so what will be a little bit different about today is we will be, as we're discussing it, talking back and forth with some of the accounts of the other Gospels to get kind of a full picture of this event. I pray as we end the portion of our public worship today of the ministry of the Word, that we would take away, um, not look what Jesus did, that's amazing. Not, it's in all four accounts, so historically it's, even though difficult to understand for the unbelievers, we have this account and therefore it's reliable. It's not why this account is here. Uh, this account is here to confront his disciples confront them with their continued unbelief, to confront the crowds who, while following him and being healed by him and then being invited to this royal feast, continue in their opposition to him. This is a tale still of how remarkably insane sin makes us all. And we are invited to this account of this royal feast one that we will take in full when the kingdom comes. So much more than just another miracle. If 
you're new here this morning, I'll be reading from our passage in its entirety. After I finish reading, I give you the opportunity to pray silently, ask for God, the Holy Spirit, to open your your eyes, ears, illuminate your mind to the truth of his word. Reading from 14, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the word of God. Please take this time to pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time of the ministry of the word, in the midst of our public worship, a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we come to worship you and give all of ourselves in in union with Christ through the Holy Spirit that we share with one another, adopted sons and daughters, gathered together here on the Lord's Day, to proclaim to the nations and the unbelieving world around us uh, that we are preparing for a time when we will celebrate in full, in the fullness of the glory of Christ, resurrected bodies. But until such a time, we continue to gather here the first day of the week to celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God, I ask, by the power of your word and God the Holy Spirit, you would illuminate the minds of the faithful this morning. 
Show us the places that we have believed hidden from you. Our self-centeredness, our selfish desires, our failures. God, may we fully give them over to you. You draw us closer to yourself as we continue in this life of repentance and pursuit of godliness. We are strengthened by the Spirit. We are given the Word, and we are put in fellowship with one another so that we might bear each other's burdens. Through the Spirit, grow this fellowship closer one to the other. Break down pride and the inability to be open with one another. Let us share each other's burdens and give it all to Christ. God, we pray for the unbelievers in our midst, those outside of the faith, those destined for separation and hell. Lord, we know that salvation is in your hands. And we pray, if there are any here that are in unbelief this morning, that this moment, this day, this sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the time you have superintended from eternity past and through the sovereign movement of your will. You are drawing them to you this morning. Convicting them of their sin. Transforming them by faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the renewing work of the Holy Spirit to give them new life in Christ. And a share in the inheritance of God's kingdom. God, may we pursue you in truth this morning. On this, the Lord's day. And through the rest of the week. We pray, God, most importantly, all glory to your name. In Christ's name. Amen. In review of this feeding of the 5,000, a few things to remember. Jesus has been rejected from the beginning. Uh, He certainly has disciples who he's specifically chosen to follow him. He has those from the crowds who would come to have faith in him, as, as in all the gospel accounts share. But the majority of how you would define these first 13 chapters that we've read is Jesus being opposed by the majority of the people who were waiting for him. And so as that has amplified, if you remember all the way back when we were in chapter 11, Jesus talks about John the Baptist and himself. And he quotes the Old Testament. He uses examples of you did not mourn with John the Baptist and you will not dance or celebrate with Messiah. And then moving forward from there, he calls himself Lord of the Sabbath, King of the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath. And the people say he does this by the power of the adversary. He begins teaching in parables to 
emphasize the difference between those who are hearing and believing and those who are not, and so he hides the truth. Sowing the power of those who believe is from God alone, not from the work of man. And as he continues in these parables, we are shown the account of John the Baptist last week being murdered. They would not mourn with John when he called them to repentance. And they will not dance in celebration with Jesus in their unbelief. So now, the account of John as we read last week, we continue on this break as it was last week, whereas in this first verse of 13, it says, when he heard this, he's referring to the fact that John the Baptist has been killed. And so he withdrew from there, his hometown, in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So he went the Sea of Galilee, and he went on a boat. Desolate, desolate places is the wilderness. It's a wild place. It's emphasized throughout the Gospels that when Jesus had moments of sorrow, he often sought solitude in order to pray and to focus on prayer. And so there's a, a narrative within what we're reading here of this, this idea of going to the, the, a, sea, a place of, of solitude and quiet that he might pray. So he takes a boat and he goes out. Now the location of where he's at is essentially this lake is in a bowl and the outer parts are elevated, meaning that the people could watch him get in a boat, figure out the trajectory of the boat, and then walk to where they saw that he was going to land. That's the, the idea of the, at least the geography of this event. But he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. No disciples, no one with him. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, in verse 14, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed the sick. Now, being in this wild place by himself, with the intention of being by himself, we're once again, after a while, introduced to one of these groups that have followed Jesus from the beginning. You have his disciples, you have the crowds, and then they had the distinction of those who had some type of hierarchy in Jewish culture, whether it be the scribes, the Sadducees, and whoever it might be, the Herodians. But here the crowds, meaning that word had spread, as continued to spread, of the works of Jesus. And as word spreads, people hear where he is. They hear that he's healing the sick. They've heard that he's healed those with leprosy and those with bleeding and all of these other things that he's done. And so they see him. There's this Jesus who's doing these things. I'm sick. You're sick. Let's go follow him. And so it's a migration. If that's me, that's super embarrassing. If it's you, though, it's also... Yeah, it's not me. Someone else is embarrassed right now. Okay. And so the, the stage is set of this, this next miracle. And if you, if you simply read the Gospels as accounts of, oh, here's the parable. Oh, there's the Beatitudes. Here's the parables. Now here's more miracles and more miracles. Okay, then here's the, 
the donkeys, and then and here's the, the and you're reading it wrong. This is these, this is a one story. It's 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 meant to be seen together, not just together, but it's meant to be seen in the backdrop of all of the Old Testament itself. And so is Jesus, prophet, priest, king, unrecognized Christ at this point, Messiah. And and by the way, in all the gospel accounts, this feeding is directly tied to Peter's first confession of what? You are the Christ. And so this miracle is a, is a, a, a big kind of aspect or turning point of the gospel itself. But here's the dramatic stage that is set. A caravan of people, essentially. The word for crowds here means army. It's a mass amount of people from many towns in the, the area. See where he is. Start, word starts spreading. They start traveling by foot, watching where he is, saying, oh, there's, oh he's going to land over there. So as Jesus is by himself seeking solitude, then the, Matthew wants you to remember, like, he sees this massive crowd waiting for him. It says the following. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. That's simple. Jesus, seeking solitude, seeking opportunity to mourn and pray, sees the people, sees their sickness, and instead removes himself from solitude, goes amongst the crowds, and heals their sick. Now, this is the stage of the set. We're not actually at the point yet where it's teaching us what we're supposed to take away from it. It's setting the stage for the event itself. Now, this has happened elsewhere throughout the, the accounts of this gospel as, a, as, as we've seen it so far. Crowds follow Jesus. He goes amongst them. He heals. He does miracles. And then he goes somewhere else. And once they got what they needed... You don't hear about them anymore. It's very few instances where you see these events where people come away proclaiming Jesus is the son of David or Jesus is Messiah and become a follower. So they go to Jesus and they wait because they heard that he can heal, which they believed in. And they believed many probably that he was a prophet, but they were there because they were sick and he could fix it. They had a physical issue that they wanted fixed. And that was the extent of what they saw being their problem. Their problem was much bigger than their physical ailment. Their problem was sin. Their problem was lack of being a citizen of this new kingdom. Seeing Messiah before them. And simply going, I got an ingrown toenail and I can't do stuff. I'm sure it was not ingrown toenails, but he healed their sick. He saw compassion or, and he had compassion on them. And, and the way that it reads in verse uh, 15 is when it says, now when it was evening, the, the implication is, is that it was, it was all day. He did this all day. Jesus among the the hundreds, the thousands that are in this crowd, healing them, healing their sick. Now, when we get to the end of it and says about 5000 men and women and children, 
the understanding is the numbering of the 5,000 was just the men. And so these are family units. So the majority would have been married. The majority would have had children. So when you think about the feeding and the miracle itself, you have to maybe triple that number. It's a large group of people. So Jesus is working miracles, doing the impossible, healing things that could not be healed in the manner that he's healing as he has before with a word, with a touch. And amongst all this, and now we're getting to the place for where we really need to start kind of seeing and thinking about ourselves here in the backdrop of this narrative, is that it was evening and the disciples came to him. The disciples who've been with him since the beginning, who've seen firsthand, who've decided, who were called specifically to follow him because they saw that he was their master and he was their teacher. And if there's one thing that we see throughout all of the Gospels is the disciples continuing to not quite get what's happening. They've seen him cure leprosy. They've seen him raise a paralytic man with a word. The man with the withered arm, just reach out your hand towards me. The woman with perpetual bleeding, she touched his garment and was healed. They've been there for all of it. They've just watched him for a full work day heal thousands of people. And the disciples come to their Lord and they come to their teacher and they say, it's getting late, Jesus. These people need to go home. That's enough compassion from you today. They need to go and they need to and go into the towns, meaning where they were was the desolate place, meaning there was not anything there to where people could easily find food. And so the, the, the implication is that through the towns around the area, they need to go to these towns, buy themselves something to eat, and go home because it's getting late. And in Jesus' response, we find something amazing. As the disciples say again, this is a desolate place. Send the crowds away to go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Now, I say it that way because in the Greek, it's an emphatic command. It's an exclamation point. He's just saying, you feed them. And now, these disciples who are followers of Jesus... He gives them no idea how to do it. He just tells them, you feed these 10, 15,000 people. Now the disciples are looking at each other. How much food do we have? One of them in the account of the Gospel of Mark, the dialogue's a little bit longer. And one of the disciples, they they remarked that it would take what is in essence, they give an amount of denarii, but it's in essence nine months of a laborer's work pay so so three quarters of a year's worth of salary they're saying we would have to have that much money to feed this many people think about that what have the disciples witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle they've been taken aside to say this is the kingdom 
Even in the parables, when they weren't understanding it, Jesus gives them further instruction to the point, at least that we just read, where they then say, we do understand all these parables. And after seeing all this miraculous work of God, including hours of healing, and they say, these people better go get some food somewhere. And now Jesus said, you can do that. In John, it says, in John 6, which is the account, it says that Jesus was testing them. For he already knew what he was going to do. So what's the point of the feeding of the 5,000? It wasn't just another miracle of Jesus. He was testing his disciples. He was testing their faith. And he was showing them that they were wanting. You see, the disciples, if, if I don't often ask to raise hands, but how many of you have binoculars or have looked through binoculars? Nice. I like the boldness. Now, what do binoculars do? Do they make things look bigger or smaller? Bigger. Now, how many of you like to turn the binoculars around? <laughs> now what happens? Smaller. See, the problem with the disciples, the problem with you and I, is that no matter what Jesus has done for us, we convince ourselves all the time that he can't possibly do fill in the blank doesn't matter what the circumstances in your life. We will immediately admit defeat and go, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what anyone's going to do. I don't know who can do anything for this. Really? Your time since salvation and regeneration in Christ has been a declaration of God's miraculous love for you that will culminate in something you can't fathom. The fullness of your existence in perfection before his throne in eternity. But often, I would say almost always, when things happen to us, we like to flip those binoculars around and make Jesus real small. Or like the kids game, or at least my kids, I'm crushing your head, dad. We make God small when our circumstances seem so big to us. The disciples are no different. And you're no different than the disciples. Had you been one, you would have been going, these people need to go home and eat. Because I don't know how we're going to make it happen. Even after you watched everything that Jesus did, the disciples never stop and go, well, Lord, we believe that through your power we can feed these people. They... They start complaining, we only have this many loaves. We only have this many fish. In one of the accounts in Luke, it talks about a little boy in the basket who was probably where they got the fish, meaning he probably was someone who came along with, helped with supplies and food for the group. Some of you are thinking, like, that's not enough food for me even, and one, one helping. Two fish, five loaves, that's a snack.
You give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down in the grass. Now, this may seem like a little account, but the the phrase that's used is to recline. He's telling them to recline because they're about to be a part of a feast. Close to 15,000 people are told, recline, be at ease. You see, this story is in contrast with another story that we read last week. It's not just the, the terrible, awful person of Herod versus John. It's one king and another king. In one king's feast, what happens? Drunkenness, debauchery, murder. In another king's feast, the true king's feast, he heals. He takes care of their sickness. He tells them to recline and just receive his blessing. A providential meal supplied by God himself. Understand the implications of this miraculous event. Jesus is showing these crowds who have now followed him for years, wanting a piece of the healing, wanting a piece of of the teaching, wanting to see if maybe he's the descendant of David who's going to kill all the Romans and set up the kingdom there on earth. As a matter of fact, in this account in John, it says after the feeding, they tried to force the crown on him. The crown's already his. That's what they didn't understand. That was the miracle showing them. He's showing himself. He's showing his provision, his compassion, his care. And so miraculously, in the way that it's written is for you to see that. The fish and the loaves are given to Jesus. He blesses them, hands them to the disciples. And it's the disciples perpetually, limitlessly having food to the fact that at the end of the feast, there is a multitude more than they started with. Why? Because he's God. Because he's Messiah. And he's shouting it to the people. He's the one who provides. The food, the drink, the rain, the sun, all of it. Not just the one who did a neat trick. And people are falling and want to see more. No, he's the one who created heavens and earth. He's the one who died on the cross for you and I. For the pervasive, insane sinfulness that abides in us. And he has given with the Father the Spirit to his people until he returns so that they might battle that sin. You know that, and I know that. And we are empowered by it and given the word, and yet all it will take is a really, really terrible thing for happen before we immediately become one of the disciples. You can be walking with the Lord for decades and something terrible happens because that's what happens in a sinful world. Your own sin, someone else's sin, 
disease, death, no matter what it is, and it hits us, and our first response often is not going, God, I know this is in your hands, and there I have no power, I have no hope, I have no, no ability to hope in anything but you and you alone. No, the first thing we do is look around and go, how am I going to fix this? How can I labor hard enough to make this work? You can't. And so we try and we try and we try and it's not working. All of my effort, all of my words, all of my perfect thoughts, none of it can do anything when sin ravages our lives. Jesus was calling to these crowds to recognize who he was. He was teaching his disciples their own faithlessness and their need to understand this isn't about a king like David. This isn't one who's going to have Israel look back and go, man, he's just like David. He's just as good as David. No, David was a piece of something that was looking forward to Messiah. The patriarchs were part of a promise that will be fulfilled in that Messiah. So the people were supposed to be looking for something far greater than David. And now we turn to John. This account of John has quite a bit more to it. Be in chapter 6. Look at the account, starting in Let's start in 23, 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when do you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. After the feeding, the crowds follow him and they ask him for more. What? More food. He'll also tell them that as they talk about Moses who gave them manna, he'll correct them and say, it wasn't Moses who gave you manna. It was the Father who gave you manna. So as these people are pursuing him, Jesus says, don't pursue the food that perishes, but eternal life. And they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, in their their sinful audacity, then what sign do you do that we may see you And believe you. What work do you perform? 
Now, this is after uncountable miracles. It's after their belly is full and they want more party tricks. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread in heaven to eat. Jesus, from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And here it is. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. What's the meal about? The meal which gave them momentary fullness of their physical hunger but was shown to them to be a provision of God, miraculous in nature, was a sign to show them what they needed in perpetuity in spiritual life. They needed Christ to fill them. He's the bread of life. He's letting them know through a feast. It's a foreshadow of his death. It's a foreshadow of his provision. He's showing them their need of that provision. And yet they are blind to their own sinfulness and unbelief. That is the reality of who you once were. That's the reality of everyone around you who is in unbelief. In need of miraculous provision. And for those that have believed and are a part of the faith, as I mentioned earlier, whether it's of the utmost seriousness, death, disease, mortality, whether it's something that affects you in the workplace, being one of integrity, And holding to a Christian ethic may cause you to speak out to where you could lose your job. It may mean that within your own family, whether extended or in-laws or whatever it might be, in the same manner, Christ-likeness may cause division. It may be that you find yourself in a place with the opportunity to share the gospel and you're facing small persecution, whether it be mockery, whether it be loss of friends, the ease with which we go, where can we get our next meal? The ease with which we forget the grand provision, the always fullness that Christ has given us. Whatever the circumstance in your life currently is that is on your mind right now that is bearing you down, have you given it to him? Have you stopped in your pragmatic progression 
to think I can do this on my own and said, I can do nothing without Christ. I can't fix anything. I can't do anything. I need him in every moment. Whether the problem is in a marriage, whether the problem is with children, whether the problem is health, whether the problem is, is work, whatever it might be, the only answer for the Christian man and woman is to humbly confess to the Lord, help me, I can do nothing but despair. He is the bread of life. And he keeps giving. That's the thing for you and I. The believers, that's the hope. The feast continues. Perpetually. Christ is never going to stop giving you himself. It's just us that tend to make a separation. Like the disciples who seem hopeless in all of these gospels, Jesus opens their eyes and they see. I pray for us. I pray for this church. I pray that we'd be reminded through these miracles, these events that we see in the gospels according to Matthew, as well as others. Just who it is whose name we call when we call ourselves Christian. Creator of the universe. Redeemer of your souls. Sustainer of you in the midst of sinful struggle. The sanctifying work of the Spirit, which is perpetually working in you. Christ, the Son, back at the right hand of the Father, who intercedes on your behalf, reminding the Father, look at whose blood they bear. Look at whose righteousness they wear. You are kingdom dwellers. You have a home guaranteed in heaven. It's time to take the backwards binoculars and turn them around because God is way bigger than you're making him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you grant us mercy in our forgetfulness. The ease with which we get lost in our own struggles, in our own sin, in the effect of the sin of others on us, the, the natural man and woman to turn to emotiveness, our need to be reminded constantly You are the bread of life that has been given to us, not by any merit of our own, not by any planning, not by any working, but through your good pleasure, God. While we cannot comprehend that in full, we need not. Lord, we are called according to your purpose. We are gathered together to lift each other up. We are gathered together in order to be in each other's lives. 
through the union we share in the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ. Lord, may we be stirring each other up to good works. May we be honest with each other in our struggles. And Lord, we may always be reminded of your great work and provision for us on the cross and the Holy Spirit's work in us together through sanctification and the pursuit of holiness. Lord, that we might be ambassadors for Christ wherever you put us in our lives. And we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the triune God, creator, perfect and unchanging, has reached down to his changing and sinful and rebellious creation and through the blood of Christ made covenant with his people. And he calls us to repentance and to relationship with him. God, move us to a life where our affections are turned towards you, where we are reminded constantly of your great mercy and grace, and that it supersedes our own rebellion and sinfulness and that it is ever waiting for us. Lord, and charge us with that out into the world with that message. We pray in this time of continued public worship that your name would be glorified. In Christ's name, amen.